Of course, to me, he's one of the game-changing comics in the industry. And when you see Fat Tuesdays, uh, you will understand why. Please welcome to the show, Guy Tory. How are you, my friend? I'm good, Mike. What's up, man? You know what? Uh, here's what's interesting about you is I'm a comedian. You know that. But I moved to we LA in, two, in 2008. It was 2008. I never knew about this Fat Tuesdays because I wasn't here. You heard about the other shows that right. were going on, like uh, Dublin's and stuff, but I never heard of this. And I was educated. I, I got fully educated over the last couple of days. So thank you for bringing this to Amazon. Oh, man, it had to, man. Very, very few times our stories as Black people, but not even Black people, comedians are told. And we have a, a comedians have an interesting origin story, our struggles, our pitfalls, our successes, our failures, man. And those stories aren't told enough, especially in, in our community, man. So I'm so glad that Amazon wanted to tell their story. I'm so glad that, you know, uh, Mike, uh, uh, Reggie Hudlin wanted to, you know, tell their story, man. It's very important to the culture and to Hollywood history, not just American history or black history, to Hollywood history. Now, why do you think this got lost? for so long, because I mean, we're in 2021. This is a story that's 16 years old now, but this is the first time like me, who's a comedian first heard about it. So why do you think it, it kind of disappeared for 16 years? Well, I don't think it got lost. I think this is the right time it's supposed to happen. You know, I think it was divine. It's happening at the right time. A lot of times we want to, you know, want things to happen in our time, but the universe is saying something different and it happened at the perfect time and because I control this story. I've been working on this for about 13 years. Wow. And I was underground for like nine. It was Michael Blackston 13 years ago being on the flight with him, him saying how he missed Fat Tuesdays and how these young comics need to know what Fat Tuesdays was. That That's what planted the seed for me to think, okay, let me see what I got. Let me see what I got in the archives. Let me start talking to comedians and patrons who came to Fat Tuesdays and see if they have any interesting stories. And what I heard was like, wow, I didn't know that. Didn't know that. Didn't know you felt the way about that. Didn't know you got that job because of that. So I started filming. I had a young director named Bishop Moore who was up and coming. We just started sitting down and doing interviews with people for the sizzle to go out and pitch. So I don't I wouldn't say the story got lost. It's just the fact that it was it was incubating. It was it was in the womb, uh getting ready and the right time to tell it was right now. What was the hardest thing about putting this together? Because I know you got so much footage. So what was it? You know, the hardest thing of putting it together was really uh, COVID for one, because we yes. were putting it together and once we got green lit to go, you know, it was the middle of COVID. So trying to get comedians to come out and not just comedians, but the other people we have in, in the project to come out during COVID and for free uh, was a feat, but they wanted to do it. They wanted to do they want they, they felt too that this story should be told and i was so happy that they were able to come out and do it and that was really one of the only hurdles the other hurdle is you know in production sometimes you want certain clips from certain shows or you know movies and the studios are kind of being you know real tough about it and that's another struggle but amazon really kind of stepped out the way amazon kind of came on and said you know what we're gonna leave you alone. You tell that story. And when you give a comedian that right, because you know when a director gives you the green light, but then you give somebody like Reggie Hudlin, <laughs> you give somebody like Reggie Hudlin that, that green light, 
come on, man. It's it's magic. And how how important was it you for you to drop this during Black History Month? It just happened to drop during Black History Month. Okay. We, we were delayed because of COVID, you know, and we were delayed because of, you know, some behind the scenes, you know, things we had to get clear clearances for certain uh, music or certain uh, clips and things like that. So we were delayed for those reasons. Uh, and, but again, this is the time it was, it, it was supposed to drop. It's not a black history piece. It's an American history piece, you know, and, and, and it just happens to drop in Black History Month. I want to talk about Robin Harris because I'm so happy you featured him in this doc, make sure you talked about him in this documentary, because a lot of people that are younger, they don't know the genius of Robin Harris. You know what? I never got a chance to meet Robin personally, but really? with my brother Joe, who was, you know, one of his, uh, Robin Harris was my brother's mentor. Through all the stories I heard from Joe before I even got to St. Louis about this guy, Robin Harris, you know, I felt like I knew him working on the Martin show as a PA. Martin was another uh, mentee of Robin Harris. So all the stories that Martin Lawrence used to tell and all the other comedians used to tell about this dude named Robin Harris. I remember when he passed away, man, I was in St. Louis, I think at a Luther Vandross concert and they announced Robin Harris is coming to the Fabulous Fox. And I called my brother Joe and was like, yo, man, it's this dude named Robin Harris. I think he's funny. I'm gonna go check him out. My brother was like, Yo, don't, that's my boy. Don't, 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 uh, don't worry about it. I'll get you tickets. I said, well, he said, don't worry about it. I'll get you tickets. So about a month later, my brother calls me and he goes, Hey man, uh, I said, Hey man, did you get those tickets? He's like, nah, he died. I said, come on, man. If you can't get the tickets, oh. just say you can't get the tickets. Don't say the man died. And it was true. He had died. So I never got a chance to meet Rob, the great Robin Harris, but we had to feature him, man, because he, 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 he ushered in, Help carry the torch of this style of comedy, this brand of comedy. He raised a lot of the comedians you see today uh, on the screen and on the big screen and little screen. So Robert Harris was, the spirit was in Fat Tuesdays because I heard the legendary Robert Harris at the Comedy Act Theater. So I wanted to carry that torch on to, to Hollywood. Let's talk about you being a PA on Martin. I didn't know that. Ah. Tell me about that. How was that? Man, that was before I got my teeth fixed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Hey, if you, if, you go <laughs> History, if you go look at American History Rex, you'll see my old grill, man. Woo! But uh, being a PA on the Martin Show, man, was probably one of the most important jobs I had because it, it taught me about the business. I learned what a producer is, what a director is, what a what an associate producer does, what a line producer does, what a writers do, and all of that. Story editors. I learned that whole thing uh, by being a PA on the Martin Show. It was so inspiring because Martin is one of the comedians that inspired me to do stand-up, you know, with Def Comedy Jam. And to, to, to my brother Joe calling Martin saying, hey, my brother's in town, he needs a job, you know, hook him up. And he hooked me up with an interview and the rest was history, man. But I learned so much on that job, man. I, I did uh, so many things on that show from PA to writing episode to guest star for Martin to audience warm up, everything, man. It was just a pleasure uh, being around that group But Martin always inspired me. To, to write, to be in the writer's room. And Martin always inspired me to work with my stand-up. He's always check on me. And it was just a great energy to be around. So a lot of comics, they have a special talent in hosting, and then some just like to do sets. I mean, we we know, like me, I'm a terrible host. I'm not gonna, I cannot host for that. At you know it. Huh? At you know it. Yeah, I know it. I know it. It, it would be horrible. But put me on a show and I'm good. Yeah. Uh, what type of comic were you? Did you like to host more than perform? Have your own 
what which place did you like? You know what? Because I'm tripolar. Uh, <laughs> all three. I, I love hosting. I love featuring. I love headlining. And there's a, there's a different energy with each one. Hosting I love because you know you start the show. You 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 got you do the through line for the show. You set the tone. I ran track. When I ran track in high school on the relay, I was the first leg. So I set the tone. How I started my heat is how we go, how we're going to finish. So with hosting, I take that mentality. How I start the show determines how the rest of the show is going to go. And it's not about you. It's about the entire show. When you run relays, it's about the entire team, not just your leg that you're running. So I love hosting because the pressure is kind of off when you're hosting and you're a little bit more free. I love doing sets. I love featuring because that short time in there, you know, you go in there, you, you bang it out, and it's cool. I love headlining because of the pressure. Like, it took me to learn a long time how to learn how to headline and get comfortable headlining. And I always said to myself, when I get as comfortable headlining as I am hosting, it's going to be it's going to be amazing. And I've gotten to that point where I'm very comfortable in my skin on stage headlining. I'm very comfortable in my skin featuring. And I've always been comfortable in my skin uh, hosting. And that's what I love about comedy. Every comic's journey is different. I'm opposite. I'm very comfortable headlining, but I'm like, man, when I can get to the level where I can just play with the crowd and host, now that's where I want to be. And that's what's interesting about the industry of comedy is every comic starts with a different type of tool, and then you have to keep crafting that tool, but also try to bring in the other parts of the whole show as well. Right. Well, hosting, man, I started at the, at the Comedy Act Theater. On, on the open mic night and although i was just a new comic i mean i just a lot of you don't like going first or don't like hosting because they don't like the cold crowd i'm like I, just give me a spot on stage i don't care what what part of the lineup you put me in just put me in put me in coach so hosting yeah. was cool because it makes you stronger because you're going up to a cold audience so that's going to make you stronger to, to build them from nothing to getting them to laughter and then to pass the baton and then you also have to be the conductor because if a comic is on you before you bombs, your job is to bring the audience back up before you bring the next comedian on. If the comedian before you goes on and they kill, it's your job to bring the next comedian right on so you won't risk losing the crowd. So it takes a, a special person uh, mentality to host because you have to be unselfish. And I think that's why Walter Latham uh, had me host the first Kings of Comedy Tour. So let's talk about this. You just mentioned bombing. Do you remember the first time you actually bombed and how'd that go? And and where yeah, was yeah. it? I can remember damn near every time I bombed. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's that's like uh, the first time you get burnt. <laughs> you get you get you get first time you get an STD. You remember it. <laughs> you remember Okay, I think you're putting a little bit too much out there now. Okay. <laughs> well, it was, it was one and only time, I ain't gonna lie, but you I know okay. you did it. I, it. I was hot. In more ways than one. Okay, um, okay. All right, Usher. All right, Usher. <laughs> no, hey, yeah. hey, 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 I ain't say that now. Gotta let it burn. Hey. Gotta let it burn. <laughs> Here's the thing, man. First time I bombed, man, was the first time I was on stage in LA. I will never forget it, man. I moved out here, and two weeks I decided to go on stage. My brother had a show about an hour outside of Los Angeles, and, and it was he and Ricky Harris, right? Rest in mm. peace, Ricky Harris. And the limo came and picked us up, you know, and I'm in the, I'm in the car. It's my first time going on stage in L.A. I only been on stage one time in my life uh, before then in St. Louis as a, as a gag. But this is the first official time as a, saying I'm a comedian. So I go, I'm in the limo. I'm getting, I'm drinking. I'm, I'm on, I'm on rum and coke. 
I'm in the limo like a Rottweiler. I can't wait to tear that stage up. I'm going to rip this mother. All right. I was in that man. I was going like going at it. Man, I got on stage, and for the first minute, I'm freestyling, right? Then I go to my material. They looked at me like, like I took my dick out in church. They they looked at me like 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 a, you talking to a dog and they turn their head. They looked at me like I bought I died the death of a thousand dogs that night. And Ricky you know Harris, Ricky Harris did not let it go. He came on stage after me and did ten minutes on me bombing because he was in a limo with us and he was telling him how I was a Rottweiler in the limo. Rawr, turn up, rawr, 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 rawr. Then he said I got on stage and bombed and was like a little cat walking. <laughs> he tore into my ass like, like, and that's why I learned how to do the same thing. When I started hosting at the Comic Theater, if comics were bomb, I did the same thing. But I did it for a reason. I did it so they would go back, work on their set, and come back stronger. And I had comics that come back and say, hey, man, I worked on my set. I ain't bombing this week. You ain't going to talk about me this week. Because I used to bring a dictionary on stage. And whenever they bombed, I, I, I look up the word joke and read the definition. Or look up comedy and read the definition. But it was really to like allow them to go back and work on their sets. And I was new too. I, I hadn't been in the game even a year. But I was just always was, was a team player, man. Well, what was one comic that you saw and they bombed or did horrible and then they turned into being a superstar or just rocking it out and it blew you away to see that full journey? Well, I mean... I've seen comics bomb, but kind of struggle in the beginning, struggle to find their voice. For those of you out there, you know, we as comedians try to find our point of view, find our voice, find our it. What is it about us that makes us who we are? And before that, we, we're just all over the place. And I've seen Chris Rock, who's already Chris Rock, you know, go on stage and get chuckles with jokes. Mm -hmm. But he's such a technician that by the time you see it on the HBO special, it's flawless, you know, yes. and a lot of comics don't have that, don't, are not fearless like that. You know, they want to play it safe and do the same material over and over again. But Chris Rock and Chappelle, those guys who go on stage naked, naked, and, and don't care about getting laughed. They just want to get it out and hear it and do the work. But there's comics like, I, I, I never saw Chris Tucker do that. Nick Cannon is one who struggled in the beginning. Uh, mm -hmm. Tiffany Haddish is one who struggled in the beginning. Hell, I struggled in the beginning. Rodney Perry uh bombed terribly one time at Fat Tuesday. Terribly. And I knew he was funny. And I told the audience, I said, y'all wasn't booing him. Y'all was booing that Ben Vereen ass jacket he was wearing with the patches on the damn elbow. So I went backstage and made Rodney Perry take the jacket off and I reintroduced him and he came back on stage for five minutes and ripped. So, yep. so there are comics who I've seen struggle, Kim Whitley, but that struggle is part of it. That's how you grow. We ain't gonna come out the gate, you know, knocking people out. Everybody ain't Mike Tyson. You know, you, you, you're gonna struggle first until you find yourself and you find your point of view and you find your voice. You know what's the worst thing about not doing a great set is that long walk off stage passing the other comedians because they they just kind of like <laughs> you know that that whole look away thing where they're like. Hey man, you know, and then so if they're friends with you, they'll come after you. Man, you know, I, and that's what I love. But that, yeah. you know, it, it, it's such <laughs> a crazy feeling though when you when that happens to you. It's funny. I don't root for comedians to bomb. When it does, it's funny as hell, man. It's funny as hell. <laughs> like, geez, 
Rest in peace, Charlie Murphy, man. Charlie, I seen Charlie Murphy take some L's, man, that were that that were funny. Just his response. Like I, I saw one time in St. Louis, man, he took an L and I was backstage and he go, damn guy, I sure hate you had to see that. <laughs> <laughs> And it was, it was, it was like, and I didn't want to laugh in his face. Oh man, you know what happened? You know, if we, with somebody you like, you don't really, you know, give it to him too much. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. St. Louis, you start playing. It's St. Louis, St. Louis, man, tough audience, man. You know. And then I seen him uh, down at, at LA Live at the Conga Room bomb in front of his mom and Eddie. <laughs> He's like, yeah. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I so hate they had the bomb in front of Eddie. And, and, and my mama, but he was such a, a great guy, man, and learning his way in the stand-up game because he already made it in the acting game. So it, it's tough, man. It, it's tough, but you know what? That's what makes you stronger, man. It makes you a better comedian. Now, how'd you meet Nick Cannon? Because I know, like, he's a, you know, he's a, you're like a godfather to him. You know, you you really like a mentor to him. How'd y'all connect? And how long ago was that? We tell the story in the documentary, so I'll, I'll graze it a little bit. But we met at a rap show when he was rapping. He wasn't doing stand-up. And of course, you know, I played the dozens, man. You know, we bagging, we joning, we doing mama jokes or whatever. So I'm a bagger, I don't care if you're a little kid. He'd be like, you can't talk about kids. I don't give a damn about your kids. I'm gonna talk about your kid. I'll talk about your grandma, grandma if it comes up. So we just bagging on each other and then I just thought that he and his boy who were rapping at the time had something. And I said, hey man, I do a show in LA. It's a comedy show, man, but it's always a lot of music people in there. I said, come on and perform. You never know what's gonna happen. And the rest is history. Rescue telling, you know, in, in the documentary. Yeah, God, okay. And have you ever thought about bringing this show back? Uh, I have two words, because everybody's been uh, wanting to bring it back, but it has to come back the right way. That's like trying to bring back Def Jam, you know, trying to bring yeah. back, you know, it's like it has to be the right ingredients now. Comedy is so saturated now. What's going to be um, those it's of the show? What's going to make it, you know, you won't, you're not going to be better than Def Jam. Def Comedy Jam is, is in the class by itself, right? So what can you do to at least get close enough to Def Comedy Jam and, and maybe even improve on it if that's such a thing? And uh, I have two words is stay tuned. Stay tuned. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now, now, I do want to know, is it, is it, are you going to bring it back to the comedy store or are you going to do your own thing? That's all I want to know. Uh, it's going to be Fat Tuesday related. Okay. You no, know, it, it's it's definitely going to be Fatter Tuesdays. Uh, fatter I love it. Now, gonna, now let me ask you this. It's going to be COVID Tuesdays because it's going to be, it's COVID. wait. So what do you think, what's the biggest difference? Hey, that's a good between... name, hey, Pandemic Tuesdays. That, that's a good... Pandemic Tuesdays, there you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Sorry, go what ahead. do you think about uh, Black audiences versus every other audience? Come on, man. Roseanne Barr said it best years ago. She went and did the Apollo because she said she wanted to know if she was really funny. She wanted to, black audience, audiences will let you know. And, and, and I always say this, man, white people come to laugh. Black people come not to laugh. Before you go on stage, a white person say, hey, hey, I hope you have a great show, 
Break a leg, buddy. Black person be like, you better be funny, motherfucker. <laughs> you better be funny. And it's like, I don't need that pressure before a show. But black audiences are honest. And they will let you know if and if you're if you're funny or not. And the thing about it is, we need to laugh the most. We've been through the most. We're still going through the most. And I always say this too, man, is like, especially with black men, the reason why we laugh so hard at comedy shows and so animated and get up and run down the aisle and turn them back flips and all that stuff, because as black men, we're raised to hold that emotion in. Men don't cry, don't be a punk, don't be a sissy, holding your emotion. And we hold all that crap in, all those emotions in. And, and, and when we channel it, it's through laughter. So when we get to a comedy club and we laugh loud, that, those are emotions too. So black audiences are, are, are tougher because number one, we are carrying all that pain. We all carrying all that stress. We did spend our hard earned income to come see you laugh. We all taking time out of our schedules to come see you, just like everybody else. But to us, it's like, yo, man, I don't feel like laughing right now. Make me laugh. And, and, that's, and that's the difference. White people come to laugh, black people come not to laugh, but that's what makes us, you know, to me, honestly, stronger comedians is because of that. Yeah, uh, a comedian told me at the beginning, he goes, win the black people, win the room. And that's the way it rolls. Yeah. Win the black people in the audience and you win the room. They got the biggest laughs, they control yeah. the room because if they laughing hard, everybody's gonna laugh hard. If they ain't laughing, nobody's laughing. And I'll tell you why that's very true. It's a secret I use in my stand-up is have the audience working for me and they don't know it. Yes. So when I get on stage, I find certain people in the audience to make eye contact with. And if, and on my left side, my right side, the middle, a few rows back and in between. And I'm either going to deliver a joke to you or the punchline to you. So now you know I see you and I know you're there. So when I look at you, you're going to laugh. Right, because you, you now you know I can see you, right, and I addressed you, so I acknowledge you, I validated you. So now when you laugh, that energy is infectious. So everybody in your section is going to feel that vibration of laughter because of you, and I controlled you by doing that by giving you eye contact or acknowledging you. So I do that a few places to a few people throughout the room. Now I got the whole room, and so if you do that with black people. Especially you have a, my crowds are, are in most cities are are very diverse. When I do that to my to our people, black people, and be like, you know what I'm talking about? You know how they are. And then boom, yeah, I got that one. I got that one. I got that one. I got that one. And so now the energy in the room is 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 euphoria because now I got I got all y'all. I gotta be honest with you. I'm putting cases on all y'all. Shoot. I, I I gotta be honest with you. I just went to school. I just learned something. Thank you, guy. Because you know when you were talking about that, you know what it described, what, what popped into my head? It popped into my head if somebody's on camera at a special. If a mm. camera's in your face, you're going to automatically laugh and be animated. But right. if it's not, you kind of like laid back, even though it's funny. So what yeah. you're doing is basically, hey, every time I come to you, the camera's on you, and your responsibility is to laugh and get this section involved and this section about so you pick people i love that man thank you for that for that piece of advice right there i really i went to school on that one i appreciate you you, you know what i never looked at it as, as that way the way you just put it as it's like that i never saw it like putting a camera on someone but that's exactly what it is so i learned something back and now it's like oh you know what he's right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so 
with 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 Fat with Fat Tuesdays, what's your favorite? What, what's your favorite episode? And what do you really want people to take away from this? Because it is American history. But what do you want people to take away from it? You know what? The, the whole. I, I'm sorry. They're like kids. I, all three of them are my favorite episodes. Uh, I love mm -hmm. something in each one of them. Each one of them are are very different, and I think each one one of them supports the other one. But what I would love for people to take away from this is that the life of a comedian, our origin stories, oftentimes we're, we're thought of as buffoons or clowns or a-holes or uh, silly or crazy or whatever, but we are healers, we're teachers, we're politicians, we're storytellers, we're artists, you know? And I want you to take from this our struggle all of our struggles, no matter what ethnicity or gender uh, comedian you are, we have an origin story. We have a story. We have pain on the inside. Most of us are dark on the inside. We do comedy to bring light to those dark situations. We're control freaks. freaks. We do comedy because we're so afraid of getting laughed at. We do stand-up to control the laughter. We know laughter purifies the air. So if there's any uncomfortableness or anything that's dark, the reason why we look at things in a certain twisted way is because we want to bring comedy to it. It can be something very dark and we want to make people laugh. This old cancel culture thing has gotten out of hand. I'm sorry. Because, yes. because it's like, you can't tell me how I see the world. I'm a comedian. I'm not perfect. I'm flawed. I see the world twisted and dark sometimes because I'm twisted and dark on the inside. But you look to me to make fun of that dark situation or that twisted situation unless it's something you don't like. All the other stuff I've done you like, but this one thing I may have said, you don't see it that way. And so you want to cancel me or cancel somebody else because they didn't see you don't agree with that particular instant of what they said right there. But everything else they said you did. And that's and that's foul to me. You've got to look at the intent. And we as comedians, when we go in and we make light of a situation, first of all, that's our muscle. You call on us to two host radio shows or or or, or, or reality TV or or you know shows, unscripted shows because of our spontaneity, our wit. So it's it's not always not we're not always going to win with our wit being that quick. So don't be quick to cancel us and judge us after one misstep, and and that's the thing. So I want you to take from this that we are human too, and 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 we are artists. And I hope you're people are inspired by this story. I hope they're inspired that whatever you want to do in life, when you believe in it, if you have a project you want to do, just keep believing in it and keep working hard on it and be disciplined in it. And be focused on it. Have mamba, mamba mentality with your gift and with your project because you will be, you know, celebrated one day for the work that you put in and to pay it forward. And that's what you know what's interesting about cancel culture for comedians to me is so many times when these reporters write about Dave Chappelle or other people, you know, especially at a comedy club, what I tell people is if you ever want to cancel comedian at a comedy club. Remember, that's like a reporter turning in their first draft and going, that's it, it's done. No editor looking over, no, like, cause our thing is we got to craft this. We got to put it together. We may say it's live. We may say something that we don't even mean, but to see if it works. So until that, if you're in a club and we're just messing around and performing, mm -mm, you can't, you cannot cancel us for that because we're, it's a work in progress. Now, if you want to, go after a special that's on you and when you go after people like joe rogan dave they're, you can't get they're uncancelable 
So you can do what you want on that. But Back. never judge a comic in a club because it's a live art and you can't judge it from that. And that's like a reporter turning in a first draft and going, there, there you go. That's a great point, man, because Def Jam was a blessing and a curse. Def Jam gave you a more raw, intimate comedy show of how we did it in the hood for years, ever, ever since slavery, because mm -hmm. slaves tell jokes to keep from getting their ass whooped by Massa. And if he was funny enough, Massa would take him to another plantation to perform for another slave master. Facts. So, mm. so, 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 we, we're, that's where our comedy comes from. The Chitlin Circuit, the plantations, these old discotheques turned now comedy clubs and things like that. And the comedy club, so Def Jam made it look polished, like, like our sets are always supposed to be like that because it had a comedy club feel to it. Comedy clubs are the gym. Like, that's where we work out these jokes. That's where we're doing it for the first time. We don't know if they're funny or not. They're funny in the mirror. They're funny in the shower. They're funny around our friends. But to see if they if they stand up in a diverse audience or any audience, then that's where we that's where we we, we have the sweats on. That's where we we don't look yeah. all powder rim. That's the gym. That's where we're going to try it out. Now, when you do shows, you're special, or you do you know a a, a late night talk show. That's the beach. That's when you take off your shirt and you show the work that you put in in the gym. That piece is the polish piece. And and don't judge us by the comedy clubs, but the comedy clubs, and, and, and I will say this, Fat Tuesdays had that feel too. It, it made it, it was, it was more of a polished comedy workout room than it yeah. was, you know, just going there with your notepad and, 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 and F around. But because I built it that way for a reason, because it was the main room, and and legends had crossed that stage. We were black, and we had to be successful, because if I would have fucked it up, then it wouldn't have probably happened for the next person coming behind me trying to do the same thing. So I had a, I had a responsibility to the culture to make sure that room was like a br a brass ring, because there were so many other rooms in LA that you can work out in. I wanted to use Fat Tuesdays as a brass ring to go grab and say. I want to be funny enough to get on that Fat Tuesday stage. And that's Tiffany Ashton's story. It's a lot of comedian story. They weren't ready when they first started for the main room. And I wasn't putting just anybody up on stage. Because when I did that, when I started in the belly room, I had a lot of comics on stage. The industry would come out. And by the time the cream of the crop comes on stage, it's a school night for them. They got to be in the office at 9 in the yeah. morning. So they left before the, the really talented ones got up. So when I moved to the main room, I changed the format and said, you know what? I'm just going to put comics up that are ready, period. And and I had an opening spot before I came on stage. That was my time to have somebody who, was, who wasn't who was that ready but was on their way. So I had to use Fat Tuesdays, the main room, as a as a, a more polished workout room. Okay. Um, I do, before I let you go, I do want to talk about the impact of Bernie Mac. Okay. I mean, Bernie Mac is one of my favorite comedians ever. Just tell me what he meant to you in the industry. Well, Bernie Mac, man, I heard heard the legend of Bernie Mac, you know, through my brother again, you know, Def Comedy Jam, see him on Def Jam with airbrushed jeans. I don't know why, that's a Chicago thing. Chicago comedians <laughs> love airbrushing their faces or their mama face or grandma face on their clothes. I, I never got that. A great city <laughs> comedy. Some of the best comedians have come out of Chicago, but damn it, y'all fashion sense is trash. Anyway, um, Bernie Mac, man, I got a chance to spend a lot of time with. 
because being the first host of the Kings of Comedy Tour, it was me, Cedric, Bernie, and Steve. I've been doing comedy like maybe six months. I mean, I'm sorry, six years, six years. So I wasn't, I was more of a prince than I was the king at all, at all. And I was also shooting the movie Life at the time. So Bernie and I was in the movie Life. So I was with Bernie damn near every day for like six months, you know, until we got through shooting the movie. Then we went on the tour, but, but I, so Bernie was my mentor. And so was Steve Harvey and so was Cedric. Man, I tell, I say to people all the time, that tour grew me up. I left the tour voluntarily. I announced it on BET Tonight with Tavis Smiley way back in the day because I was a comic and I wanted to become a comedian. Watching those guys for 52 shows, you know, go on stages, not at the night, hearing the same routine, kill and destroy, I wanted that. And I wanted to become a comedian for being a comic. And some of y'all out there just went, well, what's the difference? I'll tell you the difference is. A comic says funny things, a comedian makes things funny. Mm. Now, I didn't originate that. I'm not going to take credit for that, but I heard that and I went, hmm. And I started learning the difference between a comic and a comedian. And as we talked about earlier, when you're a host, you're more of a comic. Yes. When you're headlining, then that's the comedian. And, and there's a time to do both. When you're showcasing for Hollywood, that's your single, like a new artist. Hey, it's my hot single right here, it's my mixtape. But then when you headline, that's the album. That's every track. That's the story that flows from track one to track, you know, 12, 15, however many joints you got on there. But that's the difference of, of a comic and a comedian. And I, I, I want this documentary to also be a history lesson for the young comics that are coming up. These, the, these young men and women who are doing great things on social media with, 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 with their, their, their sketches. I think it's amazing. That's a gift and a skill I wish I had. And if they're if the ones who want to do stand up, I I would say to you, have the best of both worlds and get on stage and get those reps in. Because Mike, you you can tell them it's about we said that earlier, it's about those reps. It's getting on yes. stage time and time again and working that set out. It's the gym. It's that first draft that you talked about. And you gotta get on stage. And if you got if you're the king of of the social media comedy world, and as Bob Sunder calls them, social medians, and you've got that stage presence too, man, you're going to be on fire. So I salute yeah, and big shout the social media generation. Yeah, and big shout outs to Kev on stage, Tony Baker, yeah. uh, to hear more, all those guys, I mean, Black-owned business, doing it on their own. Uh, they're not waiting for people to give them a chance to exactly. do it by themselves. Love those cats, man. Don't wait, man. I tell people all the time. Don't wait, wait, go wait, take it to them. There's no excuses now. We have too much technology right here and information right here to do the damn thing yourself. Quit waiting on people to feed you. If they brought you to the table, then, then, then cook your own meal. If I bring you to the table and I'm eating and I give you the stove, I give you the ingredients, I give you the, 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 the groceries and the, and, and the recipe, and you just let it sit in front of you and you mad at me because I'm not taking stuff off my plate and giving it to you, that's on you. Make your meal. I gave you a put you in the space to make your meal. You make your own damn meal because I'm eating. If I if we if I if I'm here and I bring you here and I keep going here and you're still here, that's on you. And you want and you want to build with me, then work on yourself and we'll build when you get here. Yeah, yeah. So many people up here, and then the person down here is like, I don't know why they don't take me. Because you need to get even to show them you can do that. And then you like, I love that you said that because you know, we got a lot of famous friends, right? 
And then when you coming up at the beginning, you be like, man, why don't they do this for me or do that for me? And then you realize, oh, because I ain't doing that. <laughs> man, if I would have waited, my brother was, was my brother was, was 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 good because he had already been put on, and I didn't want to ride in his shadow. And uh, I was out grinding when he was out partying, which was good because he had earned it. These Hollywood parties, I was in comedy clubs because he told me, as long as you're working on your set. You ain't got to pay rent. So forget these Hollywood parties. You know, I had raggedy teeth, no money in my pocket. I was doing comedy for slices of pizza, bro. You know, yeah. in Inglewood. You know, doing comedy for a free drink. And and so grinding, grinding out that set, finding that point of view in that gym, writing that first draft. And that's what it is. And that's what I want these, these young comics to understand that it, it, it's, it's different these days. You got to recognize that. We would build our act first and then build our audience. Now people are building an audience and then the act is coming later. So it's a different, now it's the, you know, it's putting the, 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 the cart before the horse when it should be the other way around. That's right. Well, Guy Man, thank you for being on the podcast. Fat Tuesdays on Amazon right now. Go check it out. Hey, man, I really appreciate you, man, and all you're appreciate doing. You too, man.